one is exactly what Matt was just talking about. That's from Matthew 22, verses 33 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then the second reading is from Proverbs uh, 4, verse 23, which says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I don't know if you've ever thought about the power um, of your heart, not just as a physical organ, but as, a, as something which has huge capacity um, for desire. Um, I want to start by telling you a story, really. I, a few years ago, I fell in love. Can I have a little ah? Ah, ah yeah. Some of you are thinking, hang on, he's been married for a long time. What's that, what's that about? Um, well, <laughs> just to clear that up, we met initially online. I know, it's how things are done, isn't it, in the modern age? And, um, and someone introduced us in a showroom, of all places. And um, we hit it off straight away. We did lots of traveling together, spent all of our time together. I'd spend time, you know, giving massages with different products, not any Temple Spa products, unfortunately. Sorry, Bex. Um, and then after a nice day out traveling together, I'd come home and I'd tuck them under their own special little blanket. Some of you are thinking this has got quite weird quite quickly. But, uh, but um, would you mind just popping on, uh, on the screen the, um, the picture of the person or the thing? Oh, it's there. Oh, fantastic. Oh, this is the love of my life from a few years ago. Um, <laughs> so I was looking at that one thinking it's not on. Um, but uh, when, I, when I got this bike, uh, it, it really did slowly began to take over my life. Um, please talk to Rach for any clarifications. My life consisted of eat, sleep, ride, repeat um, until we had a baby. Disrupted the party there. Disrupted everything. Um, it's a bit of a silly example. But whatever we love, whatever we desire, begins to reorder our thoughts and our priorities, whatever we direct our desire towards begins to shape what our lives look like. And our hearts are powerful because your heart was made for love. Your heart was made by God out of love and for love, but not just any love, his love and the challenge is that our hearts naturally chase after all sorts of things that always overpromise and underdeliver. If your heart desires money and material stuff and security, then you will never ever feel like you have enough. You'll always feel empty. John D. Rockefeller, the quote should come up on the screens, um, who's, who's widely considered by many to be the richest person that has ever lived, um, once said, someone once asked him, how much money uh, does it take to make someone happy? To which he said, just a few more dollars. Or for example, uh, the late uh, Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the band Queen, uh, once said, success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. And of course, on the surface of it, with those big things like money, sex, and power, you know, we know that those things, like, that they over-promise and deliver all the time. But 
that is so much more subtle than that. There, there are things that capture our desires that do it in such more subtle ways that often we don't really notice it. Going back to the bike, in, in the course of buying that bike, I knew there was something inside of me. There was just a little glint of something in me that just said, if I get that thing, then maybe we'll, you know, people will think I'm a somebody. They'll think I'm cool for the first time. It's not happened since, but the hope was there. Um, but our hearts long for relationship, love, acceptance, belonging, and, and everything that comes with that. And this, this thirst that all of our hearts have will never, ever be truly satisfied until we allow ourselves to fall into the arms of Jesus, the, the, the heart of the person whose heart is for us and will never stop loving us. A person who put it much better than me, a chap called Augustine, who lived a long time ago, famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. When our hearts chase after things that don't satisfy, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a swimming pool, maybe it's just me, but trying to hold a beach ball under your legs or something while you're in a swimming pool and it just wants to pop up back to the surface. That's what your heart is like. No matter where you direct your desire, if it's not Jesus, it will always feel like it's pushing for something else. Your heart was made for love and only the ongoing taste of God's love will satisfy you. So it's no surprise then, perhaps, that Jesus wants your heart. Um, it's no surprise that that is the case. He wants you to love him and to uh, experience his love in return. And I don't know about you, but, but maybe the words from Matthew's gospel a minute ago can seem a little bit odd when Jesus asks us to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's got a bit like insecure? Is he a bit needy? Does he just need a bit of reassurance? Like, yeah, you're okay for a God. You're, you're pretty good. That's not it. It's not, it's not that at all. Jesus wants our hearts because he understands that loving God is more about what loving him does to us than what it is for him. But maybe let's just step back for a moment. Let's think about what do we actually mean by heart? Because so far we've talked about heart in a kind of emotional, like, lovey-dovey sense. Um, but what do you think of when you think of the word heart? Um, I tend to think of m mostly food-related things. So I think of, like, the um, heart sweets that you get, which, if you take a moment, just reach under your chair, and you will find a little packet of Swizzles Matlow um, sweets for you to enjoy as a little mid-talk pick-me-up. If you're quick, you can even steal the person's uh, in front, if you fancy it. <laughs> now, you might want to have a look at them uh, and dig them out. Some of the things that are on those hearts, I, I mean, they're just are outrageous, really. But those things on these sweets, are, they're all emotional, aren't they? They're all like a bit sloppy, a bit lovey-dovey. But that's how we tend to think of the heart, isn't it? We think of the heart primarily in terms of emotion in our time and place in the world. But Jesus and the ancient authors of the Bible thought of the heart much more holistically. They thought of the heart as someone's center of their thoughts, their decision-making, as well as their emotions. They thought about it much more broadly. And Jesus understands that whatever, our, um, whatever has our hearts influences our thoughts and our decision-makings 
as well as our emotions. Everything that we are and everything that we do flows from our hearts. Just like we heard from uh, the writer of Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything else you do flows from it. Whatever you focus your heart's desire on will shape you into its own image. Desire money and your heart will become greedy. Desire sex over intimacy and your heart will eventually hunger for real relationship. Desire power and your heart will eventually become corrupt. We don't often think about what these things that we desire are doing to us, but they change us. Jesus asks us to love God with our hearts because he knows that as we try and do that, he'll begin to shape us into his image. You'll become more loving, more kind, more patient, more generous, more faithful, gentle, and self-controlled because that's exactly what God is like. But there's a bit of a problem. Our hearts are broken. Each of us needs a new heart. If our hearts are full of wounds and disordered loves, we need Jesus to exchange a new heart for us. And to truly love him, we need to take that step of saying, yes, I would like a new heart. Each of us needs a heart transplant, so to speak. And a heart transplant is one of these long-standing promises in the Bible. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says to his people, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He'll give you a heart that is capable of loving him and loving other people truly. That's the first step. But what's the asking price? What's the asking price for a new heart? It's just the acceptance that you need one. That's it. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he takes our hearts of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. So when we've got this new heart, what does it mean to love God with a new heart? How do we learn to love him with a new heart? Because does Jesus fix us up kind of instantaneously in a moment when he gives us a new heart? No, he he doesn't. Guttingly, he doesn't. Um, We're a bit like a patient who has had a physical heart transplant, who needs to go through a kind of season of recovery, or perhaps like when you buy a new computer and you turn it on for the first time. It's got brand new hardware, but it needs to do like a billion updates that take hours to do. The hardware is new, but the software needs updating. When God gives us a new heart, he begins this work of a lifetime, the work of showing us what real love looks like and reordering all of our desires which in turn reorders and reforms the rest of our lives it's slow progress but it's the work of a lifetime that God asks us to join him on so how how do we keep our hearts fixed on Jesus while he's doing this work because we can still be distracted by motorbikes and you know other things the author of Uh, You are what you love, Uh, but James K. Smith explains that our desires influence our daily habits. In other words, our daily habits are shaped by what we desire. But here's the crucial bit. That can also work the other way around. Our daily habits, the things that we do each day, can also shape our desires. Does anyone in your house have bad habits? Because... In our house, a reliable source tells me 
that I have some bad habits, which I asked them about recently. These include, but are not limited to, spreading jam on toast and then leaving the jam pot and the knife on the worktop instead of putting it away. Apparently that's quite annoying. Another one is uh, walking past things that have been put on the stairs that have clearly been put there to be taken upstairs. Just walking past them. Crazy. Or, finally, trimming my beard over the sink shortly after it's been cleaned and leaving bits of beard everywhere. These habits, so I'm told, create a house of chaos. Um, some people in my house have begged the question, what kind of domestic utopia could we enjoy if I just got some better habits? <laughs> um, our habits shape us. The things that perhaps that aren't so great about our lives, maybe bad habits like that, shape us into the people. Uh, but our spiritual habits, the things that help us cultivate um, our relationship with Jesus, help us to learn how to live and how to love with those new hearts that we've been given. The more habits that we develop that point our hearts towards Jesus, the more we will desire him. The more we desire him, the more we will want to jump into more of those spiritual habits, and so on and so on. What do these kind of spiritual habits look like? Well, they might look different for lots of different people, but quite simply, it's finding ways in your day to make space for the presence of God, to receive from him and to hear from him. But here are just one or two things that have um, stood the test of time. Um, to encourage us, we, we're obviously looking at this week of prayer this week, and um, that's called Seek Week. And each, each day we're going to be seeking something different, something different about God's character. And that's just in three stages. You've got three things to do. You've got to just sit and listen to the presence of God for a moment, say a set prayer that we're all going to pray together, and then take some form of action. And it's kind of based on um, the Lectio, which is um, an old ancient Lectio Divina, which is like a method of um, reading Scripture and engaging with God. It's just having those kind of habits that just enable you to redirect, to choose where to focus your desire in order that your heart is transformed and shaped into the image of God. So as we kind of come into, a, into land, into a close, maybe you're someone this morning who has felt the sting of your heart desiring things that have left you out in the cold, that maybe that um, the relationship breakup that you thought was going to really sustain you, that was going to give you that love and affection that you thought you were going to get, maybe has broken and hurt you a little bit. Maybe you're, you know that you're longing for that love that we've been talking about, the love that can only be found um, in God. Or maybe um, you've been a Christian for a little while, and, but you know that your heart has been captivated and caught up in things that perhaps just aren't good for you. And maybe there are things that are holding you captive and that you want to be set free from this morning. We'd love to pray for you as well. And maybe, finally, you're someone who just needs a fresh challenge to revisit your daily habits, to think about what are my daily habits shaping me into? What kind of person are the things that I do from day to day turning me into? Maybe your faith has just drifted into a bit of a kind of neutral coasting. Um, and we would love to pray for you to meet with God as well this morning. Amen.